Blog Talk Radio. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight we review and discuss Joseph P. Farrell's 2014 book from Adventures Unlimited Press, Thrice Greatest Hermetica and the Janus Age. Now this is a confusing title for a sometimes confusing book, but it is still worth our attention. Basically, it outlines an historical conspiracy that goes this way. The medieval Knights Templar, the first military, industrial, and international banking conglomerate, in collusion with the Republic of Venice, launch a Roman Catholic crusade allegedly aimed at Palestine but deflected to Constantinople to destroy and loot the Byzantine Greek Orthodox half of the old Roman Empire. Now, the Templars are okay with this, but uh, then when the greedy Pope sicks them on the Gnostic Christian Cathars in their own home turf, southern France, then they back out. Now, the Cathars are destroyed, and the Pope's buddy, the King of France, then asks a loan from the Templars. Now, they refuse him. So he and the Pope turn on them and destroy them in France. But the order survives in Scotland and England and elsewhere, and they are still allied with wealthy Venice, and they are an underground network. Meanwhile, the Roman Church allies with Genoa, Florence, and Spain. Then the Venetians and the Templars make it to America before Columbus, who is a Genovian and a Spanish agent in, in, uh, for, for the Pope. But Columbus plants the Spanish flag, and the Templars and the Venetians infiltrate England with a culture war, infusing the English... Uh, with hermetic culture and hermetic magic. And it's Dee, Flood, and Shakespeare. And uh, with hermetic hermeticism and the uh, and they, they also the British uh, had a proxy war with, with the Templar for the New World. And you recall, you know, Sir Francis Drake and Henry Morgan and all against the Spanish. So what a plot this is. 
sounds crazy, but then uh, Joe Farrell has a Ph.D. from Oxford in medieval church history, so he is certainly uh, worth reading on this on subjects like this. So, as we said, tune in and we'll check it out. Now, this book is about the spiritual and cultural legacy of the medieval order of the Knights Templar, and their preservation of the hermetic and Kabbalistic magical traditions from the first century Alexandria on through the Crusades, including the Fourth Crusade against Byzantium and the horrible Albigensian Crusade against the Cathars in southern France, followed by the Purge, which destroyed the order in France and drove it underground in Catholic Europe. The Templars' association with the Republic of Venice is discussed and its connection to the Venetian Zeno family and its maritime explorations to Scotland and even to the New World, using maps recovered in the sack of Byzantium. And the Templars uh, preceded Columbus, an explorer for the rival trading empire of Genoa, who gave his discoveries to most Catholic Spain. Now, this rivalry between the excommunicated Templars and the so-called Holy Roman Empire continued with the Templars settling in Scotland and in England, and their influence and the hermetic legacy creating the unique culture of Elizabethan England, which included the, uh, John Dee's magic and, and Shakespeare's dramas. Uh, and that's the second half of the book, is their their influence uh, in, in England, especially in the Elizabethan age. And uh, that's the part of the book, of course, that, that interests us the most. However, uh, the beginning of the book... Uh, the story of the Templars and, and their original and their original connection with with uh, the secrets of of Alexandria in the end of the classical pagan era and the beginning of the Christian era is also very important because uh, there has been quite a bit of evidence has been uncovered which does really indicate that the, the Knights Templar were an esoteric organization, along with being a very powerful military organization and a financial organization. So um, the best thing we can do here to, to uh, get this in perspective is to review the history of to review the history of the Templars, how they got started and what they did and what happened to them. So, going back, and I'm going to read from uh, from Joe's book here, because you get a, you get a timeline idea of the history of this of this organization. Uh, 1065 A.D. Jerusalem falls to the Turks, instigating the circumstances that will create the Crusades, which in turn are the circumstances, allegedly, that will deal with the creation of the military religious orders of the Knights Templars and the Knights Hospitallers. Then, 1099, Jerusalem is, Jerusalem is recaptured for the Western Church by Godfrey de Bouillon, one of the original Templar Knights. 
And Godfrey de Bouillon rejects the crown of the newly created kingdom of Jerusalem, and Baldwin and Baldwin II becomes the king. Now, Godfrey de Bouillon and eight other knights in 1188, and on this, excuse me, 1118, uh, Godfrey de Bouillon and eight other knights are granted quarters within the sacred area of the old Temple Mount in Jerusalem. This constitutes the beginning of the problem for the Order of the Templars, and it is not, so we are told, officially created until 1125, according to the uh, Templar historian of the time, Ruliame de, uh, de Tyre, William of Tyre. Now, this is the first indication of how many knights were alleged to have accompanied uh, Godfrey, and there's just there was eight of them. Obviously, they were. More, there were more military personnel involved in the reconquest of Jerusalem, so why are just nine knights at the Temple Mount? On this same year, one of these original nine knights, Hugh de Payan, is chosen as the first Grand Master of the Order. All right, now let's uh, stop and elaborate on this a little bit. When the, uh, when the, the Templars were first founded, and they, when they were chartered you know, by the Pope, and they were given the task of protecting the routes to the Holy Land for the pilgrims and assuring that pilgrims would be safe to, to come to the Holy Land. And uh, that was, their, that was their, their original job. And yet, I mean, we got nine knights, and how are nine knights going to protect all these pilgrims coming from Europe? Their seal, the original seal, uh, showed two knights riding on the same horse, and uh, the, the um, so what ended up happening was that these nine knights and uh, their and their first uh, master and they uh, took up residence on the on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now uh, they immediately started extensive excavations under the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And those excavations, by the way, they, these, they, the Templars, for the next thousand years, were great diggers. I mean, these, these people dug catacombs. They dug, them, they dug them under the Temple Mount, and they're still there, they, they, these huge, extensive, uh, hollowed-out caverns, catacombs under the Temple Mount. And they, when they finally got exiled to England, uh, they did it. They they dug these huge caves in England, which which are just recently uh, you can see some some pictures of these uh, these beautiful caverns and that they they carved in England and on the internet. Um, but what were they looking for? And and well, it's, it's been it's been suggested that they were looking for artifacts treasures. Of course, um, the Romans, as we know, uh, took the, uh, the treasures of the second temple, not Solomon's temple, but, this, the, but uh, uh, the second temple. When, when the Romans conquered uh, Palestine under Titus, they, they, took, they took the treasures to Rome, which ended up being transported to Byzantium, and and uh, and and later later the, the Templars may have may have gotten a hold of those, uh, 
I think they were at one time stolen by the Visigoths when when the Visigoths sacked Rome. But what? So what's what were what were the Templars looking for? Were they looking for uh, ancient secrets or were they looking for uh, treasure? Uh, whatever it was, but they, but they, one of the first things they did when they got their charter was to excavate extensively. So they had people, you know, they, they not only were they, uh, were they soldiers, but they were also engineers. They were digging and they were, they were digging under the, under the, um, the temple. Now, in, in uh, 1127, Hugh de Payen and some of the original knights returned to France. In the first grants of land occur that same year as donations are made to the order in France and England. Now, they, in these days, uh, these land grants were given by either by the church or by the king of, of whatever country they were in or sometimes by both. And because and the Templars had a unique situation, they they were exempt from any taxes. Uh, the kings couldn't tax them and in the countries they were in and, and because they were strictly under the under the the ages of the Pope. And uh, so they had a and, and yet they could conduct their own commerce and their own banking and which they proceeded to do, and and uh, they became fabulously wealthy. And their main headquarters was southern France, and this is important because of the, the, this coming uh, crusade against the heretics of southern France, which which uh, which they would which they would not get involved in because apparently a lot of the heretics were also Templars, <laughs> and. Uh, um, and the Templars had most of their land. Most of their uh, their their land that they had was in southern France, right up uh, and next to the Pyrenees Mountains, the border to Spain. And uh, this is an area uh, that was called Languedoc. And um, the uh, one of the reasons why they were very very strong in Languedoc, and why the Templars had so much property there and built castles and fortifications and churches and everything else in that area is because they were also very, very much involved in Spain fighting against the Moors down in Spain, which is something that, that they don't get too much credit for, but they but they were very, very helpful in the Spanish. You know, the Spanish finally drove the Moors out of Spain the same year that, that Columbus discovered, uh, you know, landed in the Bahamas. Uh, 1492, and the Templars were active in Spain all the way up to that time, uh, even though they had been already purged in France. Um, now, um, that was one of the reasons why they were so strong in, in Languedoc, because that's right across the border from Spain. And um, yeah, 1128, the Council of, of, of Troyes in France under the influence and leadership of the Templars, intellectual patron Bernard de Clairvaux officially recognizes the Templar charters it with a rule and places it outside all secular and order and ordinary ecclesiastical jurisdiction and directly under the Pope. This is quite the crucial point. Um, 
1130, the Templars received privileges within the Kingdom of Aragon, Spain, and thus begins a long association with Spanish monarchs and their indispensable role in the reconquest driving the Moors out of Spain. On this aspect, this aspect of temperate crusading efforts is often overlooked as historians concentrate on the ultimate failure of the crusading orders in Palestine and ignore the ultimately successful Templar uh, efforts in the Spanish Reconquest. Um, Now, in 1191, the fortress port of Acre is recaptured by the Templars. The Turks, the Turks had, uh, the Turks had captured it, um, and this city will become important uh, in, in, in their future. The notorious down. This is 1204. Now, this this is where things get really conspiratorial here. In 1204, the notorious Fourth Crusade, led by the celebrated Blind Doge of Venice, Dandolo, sacks Constantinople and reduces the Byzantine Empire to a satrapy of the Venetian Republic. And it will be recalled that Venice was initially um, contacted by French knights to to construct a fleet uh, to contract for a fleet to the Middle East. And this event, while many do not comment, makes it highly likely that the French Knights were the Knights Templar, and thus that the Knights Templar aided Venice in the capture of Constantinople. Also, the Venetians, who were quite a maritime power, constructed the mysterious Knights Templar fleet because obviously the Knights Templar had to, and, and they, this fleet was 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 headquartered over in over in southern France, but it was probably constructed in in, in Venice, and, uh, and and originally for the conquest of Constantinople. Now, the way this thing was planned, you talk about a, a very very sneaky operation. Uh, they obviously the the Roman Pope. Wanted to get rid of the, uh, you know, they 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 wanted to reunite the Roman Empire, uh, and 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 uh, Byzantium was was under Greek Orthodox naturally at that time, and they they wanted to re- reunite the Roman Empire, and they wanted to loot it, of course, and and they also wanted the archives. The, because they they had a lot of the Alexandrian archives from classical Alexandria and and uh, and, and all over there and uh, and the Templar certainly wanted to get at that and the Pope did too and, and and so what they did was they planned this thing and this was you talking about insidious they were. They were going to take the crusade to Palestine. That originally, this is what this is what this whole operation was 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 planned. Okay, we're going to have this big crusade, and we're going to go to Palestine, and we're going to fight the Turks. Yeah, and they even went so far as to as to uh, plan a 
a secret in, uh, side invasion of Egypt just to cut off the supply lines for the Turks. And they got this plan uh, promoted. They had no intention whatsoever of doing it, but they promoted it and let it leak. And this is almost like, you know, World War II, like the man that never was, you know, where we... He planned these 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 operations that we never did, but we but we get the plans, let the Nazis capture him, you know, and this this kind of stuff. And they got so what they really did though with this um with this this crusade that they mounted, uh with the Pope's uh approval and support and the Templars and the Venetians, who at that time were all uh, allied in this, and instead of Going to Palestine, they hit Constantinople, and and the sack Constantinople. This was, you know, this was just really outrageous. But they, but they, this is what they did, and and, and it was a, you know, it was a complete conspiracy, and uh, and then one of the things that resulted from this is that the Templars uh, and and the and and the uh, and the Doge of Venice and the you know Council of Ten in Venice, they ended up with a lot of really important intelligence and and, and uh, uh, secret information uh, records and and, and maps. Uh, one of the maps that they ended up with, which we'll figure later on in their in their um, uh, adventures was the famous pre-re map, which a lot of you probably heard of, by a Turkish admiral, which uh, uh, which was based on earlier maps uh, and, and showed, showed uh, the Western Hemisphere and all the way down to Antarctica and even, and even, had, and even had the coast of Antarctica before uh, something like the way it was 10,000 years ago. I mean, this is incredible. They got the pre-re map, and they got and they got a number of documents about, about uh, explorations, Roman explorations, and perhaps even Egyptian explorations of the New World. Uh, and and uh, and and this, of course, for for the Venetians and the Templars was was quite a uh, was quite a thing. And, they, and 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 of course, along with this, it is theorized. That they they got a lot of good hermetic uh, material from uh, you know from from the Vibrate Alexandria that had ended up in that archive. So now, 1209 to 1229, Pope Innocent III calls Pope Innocent III, God, get that, calls for an internal crusade in southern France to wipe out the Cathars, also known as the Albigensians. And their uh, for their non-Catholic doctrine. Now the Cathars are based in Languedoc, the region of southern France, along the Pyrenees. And Languedoc is the most prosperous region in France at the time. And the Templars maintained and built many roads and fortifications in this region, and into and over the Pyrenees to support their military campaigns at the behest of Spanish monarchs against the Moors. Now, both the Templars and the Hospitallers refused to participate in this campaign. And persistent rumors abound that the Templars aided the Cathars and the final evacuation of their treasure to keep it from Catholic and royal French hands. 
It is during this crusade that thousands of Cathars and Catholics are burnt alive by the Inquisition. And by the way, this is where the Inquisition was founded, was a result of this of this Albigensian crusade. This thing was one of the most horrible, genocidal uh, atrocities, uh, if we want to use modern Eastern European terminology, we'd call it a pogrom. But it, it, it was absolutely horrible, and it's something that the Catholic Church has, frankly, never apologized for. I don't know that the Catholic Church has ever apologized for this. But God, it was, it was, it was, it, it, on a scale, of course, it wasn't perhaps quite as bad if you, if you want to accept the six million figure for the Holocaust, uh, 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 it wasn't quite that, 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 that number, but in, in proportion, in, in proportion, considering the demographics, you know, of, of, uh, of the, the 11th century, and, and, and opposed to the demographics of, of the 20th century, this thing was was as bad as the Holocaust. It was it was worse than Rwanda. It was it was it was horrible. The um, this Crusader army that 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 the, that the Pope raised up. Uh, came down the Rhone Valley and slaughtered everybody. They, 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 and, and they did you know, slash and burn, and, and they reached the town of Bezers, from the walled city of Bezers, and they laid siege to it. And, uh, and the Cathars, of course, you know, are, are defending it, and, 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 um, the sappers, the, the the engineers for the for the crusaders, they dig under the Barbican, of course, and they they undermine the whole Barbican. The Barbican, by the way, is a is those two towers that uh, on either side of the gate in one of those old cities or castles. So they've got the whole Barbican uh, undermined, and they're ready to drop it. And of course, once they drop it, they can they can ride right into the city, you know, and and and. Uh, so they're just about ready to drop the, the Barbican, and, and uh, uh, the head of the sappers goes to uh, uh, goes to the Grand Marshal, and he says, uh, and he says, uh, well, uh, sire, we're just about to, uh, to to open, you know, to to drop the drop the wall." And he and he said, uh, uh, he said, "You know that that." This, the, the town is half half Catholic and half Cathar. So, what are your orders? What are we going? What 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 are we going to do? How are we going to sort them out? And the Grand Marshal is said to have said those famous words: "Kill them all. God will know His own." And so that's what they did. They killed twenty thousand men, women, and children, and babies on held up on swords, and, and literally. And that's where they also that's where the expression "the gutters ran red with blood" came from, because they literally did. Bezerra's was a hilltop city, and and you had gutters running downhill, 
and they literally did. They, they, they blood flowed in the gutters. It was it was absolutely horrible. And then there was another uh, another fortress city, Carcassonne. When they got to that, the uh, the Cathars all escaped. They had a tunnel leading out of Carcassonne, and 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 they managed to get out through the tunnel. But um, but this 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 whole thing with the and the Cathars were not. These these were not evil people. They were uh, I suppose they were heretics. They were Gnostics. They believed in a non-physical Christ, and and they they believed uh, you know they they um, they were very peaceful and and very uh, very loving, very peaceful people, and they had they were so popular in in Languedoc that. The Roman Catholic churches there were standing empty. Nobody was going to mass because they were the Cathars. That that doctrine appealed to the people uh, more than more than the Catholic Church, which is one of the reasons why they they exterminated them. Uh, the other reason was they were very wealthy and uh, uh, very wealthy, and yet at the same time they were very charitable. And this 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 was uh, uh, one of the as I say this this was one of the most hideous things that that the Catholic Church uh, or any or any church has ever done. It it uh, and it it was the occasion of the birth of the of the, of the Inquisition, which was Dominican by the way, and uh, also it. Is possibly the uh, connected with the, the legend of the Holy Grail, and uh, actually, it's difficult to do that. You know, there've been a lot of people, uh, writers have tried to do this, including Otto Rahn, the uh, uh, the Nazi uh, SS scholar that that, that uh, wrote. Uh, so very interesting. He explored some archaeology down there, and explored the area. And and uh, and Otto Rahn believed that the German Grail epic, Parsifal, by Wolfram von Essenbach, he believed that that was an allegory of the Albigensian Crusade, and that the Grail was not really the cup of Christ. It was a green stone that fell from heaven. And uh, by the way, we did a show on the Parsifal uh, sometime uh, uh, back, and, and uh, our, our article from the Seventh Ray by by Janine Rene. Um, that's Ed uh, Ed Fitch's uh, former lady, and uh, it's it's a very interesting. The Parsifal is very very interesting. It's a Grail romance. In fact, it's one of the first of the Grail romances. Very hermetic, by the way. And uh, so, did the Cathars actually have the Holy Grail? As a lot of people think they did, and and, uh, and but they certainly had a they certainly had a wonderful Grail castle, and which finally fell to these Albigensian Crusaders. And this the castle was is is called Monsignor, and it 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 is on top of a of a of a 
very, very rugged mountain down in the Pyrenees. And it's perched on the top. And you, you see photographs of it, and Joe's got one of the photographs in his book here of, of Monsignor. And you, and you look at this, and you say, how in the heck do they ever build this thing up on top of this, this mountain? Uh, it's kind of like Masada. And, and uh, the, the story of how it was, it was captured uh, was very much like uh, the story of uh, how the how the 300 Spartans were betrayed. There was a secret path that led up the that led up the mountain, and, and they were betrayed, and and and, uh, and and the and the Crusaders got up got up the secret path and and strangled the guards and got in and and, and led the rest of the Crusaders up there, and they stormed the castle and they and they killed all the Cathars. But apparently. Uh, right before the castle fell, uh, a couple of the Cathars and maybe maybe Templars uh, managed to repel down the down the walls, and then carrying carrying a bundle, which some people say was well was either the Holy Grail or 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 the treasure or whatever. So it's a very romantic story, and and there have been several uh, speculations about it. Um, so now to continue on this um, 1271 Prince Edward I leads a crusade and is attacked by an assassin wielding a poison tipped knife Edward survives the attack is restored to health by drugs sent by Thomas Bernard master of the Templars the question is when did the knights suddenly also become experts in poisons and their and their remedies now, 1272, while all this is going on, Prince Edward is crusading, King Henry III dies, and the Templars of England meet in a council in London and compose a letter to Edward, informing him that he's now king. In 1291, a joint force of Knights Templar and their great rivals, the Knight Hospitallers, and their supporting naval forces, led by traditional allies, Venice and Genoa, respectively, are defeated at Acre. And the last vestige of Christian power in the Middle East falls to the Muslims. And in 1292, Jacques de Malay is elected the last Grand Master of the Order of the Templars in April. In 1305, Philip Le Bel, scheming to undo, that's the king of France, scheming to undo the Templars and seize their treasure, succeeds in manipulating the election of Bertrand de Gaulle as Pope Clement V. Now, King Philip insists that Clement reside in France, making him even more a puppet of the French monarchy. Clement issues an invitation to the Grand Masters of both the Templar Order and the Hospitallers to attend a council at which the orders will be combined. De Molay responds by defending the friendly competition between the two orders, maintaining that it improves their efficiency, but nevertheless makes preparations to return to France. The Grand Master of the Hospitallers politely refuses to attend, indicating that he's busy defending the Hospitallers' base on roads, which he was. And De Molay, however, is in Cyprus, raising a new crusading army 
to recapture lost territories in Palestine. In a move that yet has to be adequately explained, however, de Molay decides to return to France at the behest of the Pope. According to a study published in Napoleonic France in 1813, um, de Molay returned with a contingent of 60 knights and a treasure of 150,000 gold florins and a large amount of silver bullion that the order had accumulated in the Middle East. The importance of this information in this event cannot be lingered on too long. However, anyway, uh, nobody knows what happened to that 150,000 gold florins. Uh, so Dean Malay returns and... Thirteen oh seven, King Philip of France, already heavily indebted to the Knights Templar, and already having increased taxes and plundered French Jews, requests yet another loan from the temple in Paris. This is refused, and Philip, with his right hand man, Gullier de Nogart, secretly plan the simultaneous arrest of all the Templars in France. Sealed orders are issued to all the Seneschals, essentially French sheriffs, to be opened at a certain time. And these orders state that all local Templars are to be arrested and their property seized on behalf of the Crown. Philip draws up a letter of the charges against the Templars and requests similar actions to be undertaken in other kingdoms. And this will be seen, uh, this list of charges is so bizarre that it approaches the absurd, raising questions of its own. King Edward of England is initially dismissive of the charges until papal pressure is brought to bear. In Germany, the order is simply rolled into the Teutonic Knights, and in the Spanish kingdoms and in Portugal, similar steps are undertaken to preserve the order by changing and giving it a different name. 1312, the Council of Vinay in France officially dissolves the Order of the Templars, and all its remaining property is officially transferred to the Order of the Knights of St. John. Uh, the Hospitallers, the Templars, friendly rivals, and the military order most closely associated with the city-state of Genoa, raising the question of whether or not, to some extent, the demise of the Templars somehow served wider European political goals in the perpetual rivalry between Genoa and Venice, or conversely, if these city-states closely allied as they were to the Hospitallers and tempers, respectively, should be seen as the localized governmental fronts of two rival international financial and military institutions and cartels. Now, let's explain that a little bit. Uh, the Templars, more so than the Hospitallers, although the Hospitallers did this too, they actually cre created the credit system. Uh, you might you might say you know you, you, you can imagine a Visa card that says it says order order the Knights Templar you know Visa. Uh, what what they did was they issued uh, t uh, they issued letters of credit. I mean, you didn't have to be a member of the order to to get one of these. Uh, it helped of course, but but you didn't have to be. Uh, but you could uh, you could go ahead if you were a merchant and and uh, and especially a, a Venetian merchant, 
you could uh, you could deposit uh, money to the Templars in in France or or in in Venice or wherever you you know Europe you want to do you you could deposit money, and then uh, they would give you you know a letter of credit which is just like your credit card bill says how much credit you have, and you could go. And then you could sail anywhere in the Mediterranean, or the, or at at one time over in in uh, you know along the Levant, and you could cash that that letter in. You could you could go into another uh, uh, Templar facility, and uh, and 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 that letter was as good as as good as your gold or silver that you deposited. And they this this was marvelous for for commerce. And of course, it helped the Venetians uh, tremendously, so they were all for it. So, for commerce and, and military purposes and everything else, uh, and the Templars uh, had a lot to do with establishing this this system, which of course has since become, um, you know, since become the, the way we do business. And and uh, and there were, you know, naturally there were a number of uh, Jewish folks involved in this too. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll discuss later on. Uh, later on, we we get to the the Merchant of Venice, Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice, and and um, and that the Templar influence on that, uh, the Hermetic influence too. And and Joe has a uh, he has a Kabbalistic analysis of the Templar of the Merchant of Venice in the back of the back of the book with various versions of the Tree of Life. <laughs> Aligned to Shakespeare's play, *The Merchant of Venice*, and um, so the uh, the Templars had this this uh, you know they had they had this fortune, but uh, but Philip when he when he when he when he foreclosed on them and and, and arrested them, uh, he couldn't find it. Now some people say, well, yeah, yeah, but it was all loaned out. Well, yeah, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And the Templar fleet disappeared. Philip did this, you know. He issued this disorder to all of the seneschals. And if this this is the origin of an expression called the Knight of the Long Knives. And, you know, have you ever heard the the expression that there, there's a Knight of the Long Knives, and that that comes. Well, the Sepoy mutiny, and also um, when uh, when Hitler and and uh, and Himmler uh, did the when they when they descended on on Ernst Rome and his um, and his SD or his SA, you know, his stormtroopers and the SS Hitler and the SS uh, and Himmler wiped out the the, the, the stormtroopers in one night, and it was a night of the long knives, and. Um, and uh, this, they, oh, the charges that they brought against the Templars, and they tortured them, and 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 uh, these were just, it was just awful. I mean, these 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 things they were supposed to be uh, doing all this satanic stuff, and and uh, and uh, and sodomy, and and worshiping a. a, a a two or three faced god head uh and 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 all kinds of obscene stuff spitting on the cross and things like this uh none of which made any sense, and hardly anybody believed it but but then then they then they roasted poor poor Jacques de Malay alive, 
and and uh, of course the Templars, you know, as, as as we know, they survived underground and eventually had a lot of influence on 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 the Masons and 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 perhaps even the Illuminati and whatever as and and and, and then you know during the French Revolution uh, <laughs> against against the uh, uh, the Sun King. Uh, in France, the French Revolution, and it was liberty, equality, fraternity, and revenge for Demolay. <laughs> so it, uh, the, the, all of this has come down, a lot of this, in, including that the day that the Seneschals struck, Friday the 13th, and that's why Friday the 13th is considered unlucky, because that was the day that they opened those letters and that they descended on the Templars in France it was Friday the 13th. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, 1314, the last Templar Grandmaster, Jacques de Malais, slowly roasted alive for his efforts. Philip the Bell found the Templar treasuries in France virtually empty of any funds. And the large Templar fleet based permanently at the Bay of Biscay Port of La Rochelle was missing. Some academics have argued that there was, never was much treasure in the various Templar preceptories, nor in the Temple of Paris, as these funds were loaned out. But such considerations do not account for the fact that Philip was in part financially motivated to undertake his actions, and in turn had to have have been based on some intelligence. That intelligence may have known about the 150,000 uh, florins that de Molay brought with him uh, on his return to France from Cyprus. Uh, and, of course, you know, de Molay, they probably had some advance notice that, that something like this was going to happen and, and were able to get, you know, to get their get what they could secured, uh, just like the Qatars were able to escape with, with something down the wall at Monsignor. That would make a terrific movie. You know, the the the, the siege of Monsignor and these guys rappelling down the or down the down the wall. Take a look at that photograph of the book, those of you or 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 if you have a if you have a a picture of, of, of that that castle in uh in one of your books. Uh and also too, as I say, Parseval, the Parseval it's a fascinating, fascinating romance, and 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 a, and, a fun, and it's a fun read even today. It was written, you know, way back in in, in the 11th century, but it's a, it's a, it's it's an exciting story. Um, now, so the Templars have been destroyed in France, and they go underground, and they've been and they've been renamed. Because, you know, the Reformation had not taken place. This is long before, and you have to remember now, this is before the, the, the Reformation. This was when Europe, all of Europe, was, was strongly influenced and controlled, in some instances, by the Catholic Church. You had, in all of these countries, including most of the German countries and whatever, they, they, they were... They were good, devout Roman Catholics, and and then in the medieval society, feudal society, uh, was run by the church, 
and and the king and his and his uh, and, and his barons and his dukes and his barons and he and they and they all uh, they all shared power and so um, the the Templars literally had to had to had to go underground or, or re- redefine themselves and one of the things that, that they did and of course they were still still the Venetians. They were still in tight with the Venetians. And um, this is where we get into this business of the Zeno family in Venice. Now, the Zeno family in Venice with uh, with the Templar, some of the Templar ships, which, by the way, were were rather seaworthy, much, much more seaworthy than the ones that Columbus uh, the Geno and Columbus was a Geno. You know, he he was he was the enemy. Uh, he he was the, uh, in the, he was the Genovese, and and he was you know more allied with the with the Pope, and and uh, uh, so the the Templar ships that they uh, were were actually superior, and they they managed with the with the uh, the. the Venetian Zeno family, using these Turkish maps that they had that they had gotten when they when they sacked Byzantium, they got up first. They storm drove them into the Orkney Islands up in Scotland, and that's where they got hooked up with with the St. Clair family. And uh, those of you who have heard who have read these uh, stories about the Templars in Scotland, you know the St. Clair family figures very, very strongly in that. Well, they, the St. Clair family picked them up on the beach. You know they got they got they had hit by a storm and the ship got washed up on the beach and the St. Clair family actually rescued them. This uh, you know Henry St. Clair rescued them from from uh, some. Pictish savages who were probably who were probably going to eat these poor Templars and and and, uh, and Venetians uh, and uh, and uh, Saint Clair and his and his Templars and rode in and, and rescued them and that's where they, they they this Scottish connection which of course eventually you know uh, ended up with uh, uh, Rosalind Chapel and all of that. That's where that got started, and probably and and the start of you know the and probably the seed at the start of masonry, uh, in in Scotland and England, because you know masonry got started in Scotland, and then it Grand Lodge of England got formed uh, in 1717, but basically from growing from from Scotch uh, origins, uh, and the Templars back when they were were before they got they got exterminated. Uh, they were very great builders. They built cathedrals. They built castles, fortifications, and all over Europe, you know, and, and especially in, in southern France. Uh, and so they had, the Templars were in, in many ways, uh, they, they were the, you know, the, the kind of the origin of the Masonic fraternity. And, um, uh, 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 Joe Farrell theorizes in his book that they kept 
their knowledge of the New World because not only did they get to Scotland, but they also got over to uh, to Greenland and and uh, they got over to Greenland. Some of the Norse some of the Norse colonies that the that Leif Erikson and and, and uh, Eric the Red had established, and they got in contact with them. And they even got in contact with some American Indian uh, civilizations. Uh, and uh, I don't know whether they're talking about. I can't, can't quite figure. It, it, it's, it almost sounds as if these are uh, these are Central American, you know, uh, civilizations the way they're describing them. But uh, uh, anyway, they knew about the New World, but they kept it. They they didn't publish it. You know, even though they, they you know, they, 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 the Venetians uh, kept quiet about it, and yet the, uh, the you know, the, 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 the idea that the that the Western Hemisphere was over there was well known. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that was a big secret. I mean, people didn't really believe the world was flat anymore. They that 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 was that had been gone out a long time ago, and uh, and so the. Columbus, Christopher Columbus, uh, was a Genovese. It was a Genovese. He was not a uh, he, was, he was not a not a Venetian, and he was a Genovese and and you know allied allied more allied to the Hospitallers and 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 still in the you know still in the favor of the Pope, and and uh, so he was the official you know papal the official papal discoverer of the new world. But the truth, the, the fact of the matter is that Columbus, uh, this wasn't the first time he'd been over there. He, he'd already, he, he, he apparently made a voyage to the new world before the, the, the one that, that Ferdinand and Isabella paid for. Uh, so he knew where he was going and he knew what he was going to find. And uh, and so this way, the Catholics and using Spain and uh, Spain at that time, you know, that the Templars who had changed their name, they 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 they, they helped the uh, Spanish drive out the last of the Moors, 1492, the same year that Columbus discovered America. But the Pope now, the Holy Roman Empire. They had discovered the new world, and 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 yet they so they beat the Venetians to it, and they and and uh, uh, they discovered the new world, and oh boy, you know. So uh, this, however, is the start of a great rivalry because the Templars were already firmly established in England. I mean, in England and Scotland, they were really in, and as we'll find out in the Elizabethan age, which is the second half of the book, is 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 the Templars, is is the legacy of the Templars in England, and here are the seeds of this great rivalry between England and Spain. You know, the Spanish Armada, and and Sir Francis Drake. And Henry Morgan and all of the you know the 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 English buccaneers and 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 the, the Seahawks and all of the all of the wars between between the Elizabethans and the Spaniards. This is what it all goes back to: is that 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 they connived 
the the Spanish, you know, uh, you know, who were had joined the the, the alliance with the uh, you know with the Genovese and and and, and the and the Pope, uh, they 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 tried to grab the whole new world, and 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 the British, you know, they were going to have any of that, so they and they. You know, uh, they attacked them and sacked their their, their cities over there and and, uh, and pirated them and whatever and this and this and this and this rivalry between uh, uh, England and Spain went on for for the next couple hundred years. Now, that brings us up to uh, to the uh, the influence of the of the Templars. In uh, in England, and that's the second half of the book, and that I I found I find absolutely fascinating, because Joe Farrell has used one of my favorite favorite writers, magical writers, uh, as it, 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 he's really really leaned on Dame Frances Yates, and she. Her great books, Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic Tradition, and the Rosicrucian Enlightenment, and several others that he's mentioned in here. Dame Francis Yates details the Hermetic influences in in England, and especially with John Dee. Uh, John Dee is prominently figured. Another aspect of this that 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 absolutely fascinates me. And I had not fully realized until I read this, and I'm so glad Joe published this, is that drama, theater, is is hermetic, and 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 the British theater, especially Shakespeare, and and Marlowe, and all of these these uh, these British uh, dramatists are writing hermetic uh, plays and 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 designing. Theaters, hermetic theaters, and 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 and, and drawing on classical, uh, you know, on all the classical material they can, including the, including Roman uh, Roman theater plans. They even had, you know, D. Some of you may know this. D. was a special effects man. In fact, before he became a, you know, infamous as a sorcerer, famous and infamous, he he he. When he was in, when he was in Oxford, he and he, he he developed special effects for for plays. And one he he had one time he developed a, a, a an ascending uh, an ascending uh, Egyptian beetle that spread its wings and ascended from the stage, and it was so realistic that people thought it was on the that that, that he had. He, 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 that this was sorcery, and uh, uh, so he got his start really as uh, as a special effects guy in in Elizabethan theater, and uh, and uh, Joe Farrell goes along with uh, some other people in in believing that Shakespeare that was not really the author of Shakespeare's plays. He thinks he thinks that his candidate. Uh, for Shakespeare, for the real Shakespeare is 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 the nobleman Edward uh, De Vere, and uh, and Orson Welles 
agreed with that. Uh, Orson Welles thought that, that Edward de Vere was, uh, the Earl, uh, Edward de Vere was, who was a member of the court. And that's a good argument because uh, William Shakespeare himself uh, was supposedly not very well educated. And um, um, I know that some people like to think that he was an auto de and and... and and all that, but but the, the knowledge that 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 man, that Shakespeare, must have had the political knowledge, the historical knowledge, the uh, the the the, the and, and the contemporary political uh, knowledge was was incredible. So it's a good argument that. Uh, but I but uh, I think uh, I think Joe takes up too much of this book uh, arguing that case because uh, frankly that. Uh, whether or not uh, Shakespeare was actually somebody else, other people, other people think it was Bacon, not the original Bacon, not Friar Bacon, but the, but the later Bacon, uh, the, but the Renaissance uh, British Bacon. And I know that Manly Hall's wife was fixated on that idea. Uh, the uh, <coughs> the uh, Al Sprague de Camp, the science fiction writer, once wrote a satire on this whole thing, in which he had uh, which he had a story about uh, about a bunch of people uh, called called themselves the Churchillians, and they were supposed to be you know, in 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 twenty twenty fifty or something like that, and they called themselves the Churchillians, and and they believed that that. George, nobody had ever heard of George Bernard Shaw, so Shaw's plays must have been written by Winston Churchill. <laughs> it was kind of a satire on all these people coming up with these different different ideas of who wrote Shakespeare's plays. But, but still, uh, yeah, it's possible that that you know that 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 Orson Welles and and Joe Farrell are both right that De Vere was the uh, was the real author of the plays. It doesn't matter; they were hermetic and. And Frances Yates, who who herself doesn't enter into that controversy, she 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 definitely believes that Shakespeare's plays were hermetic, and she cites a great deal of evidence to prove them. When I was a kid, I I uh, back in, when I first got started in college, I loved Shakespeare. I did I did I did Falstaff and Henry the Part Part Two. I did. Uh, I did uh, Benedict the Much Ado About Nothing. I did oh gosh, I did uh, I did the Roman General and Cymbeline, and also did all the costumes and props. I I love Shakespeare, and maybe that's why I ended up getting into Hermetics. <laughs> you know, sort of backed into it. Anyway, this book is fascinating, and and it it gives us a tremendous uh, historical insight all the way up and in, into. Uh, the Elizabethan magic that we know and love, and and uh, I strongly recommend it. Uh, and as I say, it's it's a it's a hard read because uh, you have all the detail, but stick with it, and it, and it's and it certainly uh, certainly is worth uh, worth your attention. So uh, next week we'll be back, uh, and uh, and we'll be back with. Uh, with another uh, interesting, interesting episode in, in our exploration of the hermetic arts. And so until then, good magic.